All right, what you see on the screen, who knows what that is? Some say Israel, some say something else. It's a Palestinian flag. Israeli and Palestinian flag torn in half. Designed to represent the conflict between these two um, places, people, whatever you want to call it. It's all over the news. Some of you don't bother about the news. Maybe that's good for you. Um, I would not think about doing a sermon about any type of war. I have not done a sermon talking about what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. I have not spoken about some of the um, things that North Korea has said and uh, what's going on in the politics. Because um, I just think it's not really necessary to talk about that in church however today I'm going to talk about it because and I've got a few reasons I'm going to specifically talk about this war that takes place between Israel and Hamas and I'm going to give you a few reasons because here's a few reasons number one because Jerusalem is the most prophesied about city in the Bible it's the most famous city in the Bible and this war involves Jerusalem. Armageddon is nearing every day. The Bible talks about this great battle that will take place that involves the end of the world. That is taking place in this place where the war is happening. That's where Armageddon is, according to the Bible. Thirdly, because the land, the land where Jesus walked, that's the land where the war is taking place. Our Savior walked on the soil where people are being killed at this moment. This land was given to the Israelites by God. So when we talk about biblical lands, we're talking about this land where the war is taking place. I also feel it necessary to talk about because of the false religion that is taking place. There's a false religion in this world, ladies and gentlemen, that I don't think. And we were reminded again in the last two weeks what this religion is about. It's a false religion. It is governed by Satan. And it has people who hate us. It needs to sink in today. We need to get this. Because we live on the other side of the world. We're very secure in a small town. It needs to sink into our minds that there are actually people in this world. If you were walking as a Christian in Palestine. If you were walking on the Gaza Strip. There are people there that will kill you. They will cut off your head. There are literally humans like that on the earth. And it's because of false religion. I think it's important to talk about because it touches on our vote. And I hate saying this, but this comes back to our politics in our own country. Our vote endorses or prevents death on the other side of the world. And so we have an impact on the other side of the world based on who it is that we vote for. And so we've got an individual responsibility. And then lastly, what happened in the last two weeks is just demonstrated to us once again that there's a human evil in this world that is incomprehensibly dark. It's incomprehensibly dark. I like joking around. I really do. And I like making fun and making jokes during sermons. But I don't see any jokes coming this morning. And some of you are saying, you're sitting here, I've seen the news. I hear about Israel, Hamas. What is Hamas? Gaza, the Gaza Strip. What is that? What is going on? What is this war really about? And why does it matter? We're going to talk about that. Now, let me, I'm going to, in a simple way, this is a very complicated and loaded thing, but in a simple way, I'm going to illustrate it to us and explain it to us this morning. Two weeks ago, 
On Saturday, the 7th of October, Israel had a massive festival. It was, it was, it was huge for them. And during that festival, terrorists from Gaza came across the border into Israel by surprise and randomly, randomly, people were, some people were at parties, families were in their homes, random Saturday morning when people were having their Sabbath, the Jews were having their Sabbath. These guys came in, they killed about 1,300 people and they took about 200 of those, more than that, captive and took them back into, um, into Gaza. It's called the Al-Aqsa Flood. That's what they termed it because they've been planning it for more than a year. The Al-Aqsa Flood. Now, Al-Aqsa is the place of prayer in Jerusalem, right? Where the Muslims pray. It's where the, 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 the dome is, their special prayer place. So they came in and killed people. They called it the Al-Aqsa Flood. They are fighting for their place of prayer. I want this to sink in. That you are going to fight for your place where you want to pray. And in the process you're going to kill a bunch of people for it. They blew parts of the border fence up. They flew across. The people can't believe this. They flew across the fence with um, paragliders. As paragliders with machine guns. They landed on the other side. And they killed the people. The, the reports are that they raped various women. They burnt children alive. They decapitated babies. They burnt teenagers alive. They mocked and killed a Holocaust survivor in a wheelchair. They made a video of killing a person and then posted it on her Facebook page so that her family could see how she died. And then they paraded the bodies of dead people throughout the streets. The one girl, they were showing she was lying in the back of a, a truck. You could see a part of her body. The streets were going crazy and, and beating this body that is, that is dead. And this girl had a tattoo on her leg and her mother recognized it's her daughter. Can you imagine? And you know, while they are doing this, while they are committing these crimes, while they are um, killing people, guess what they are shouting? They're shouting, Allahu Akbar. Have you heard that before? You need to go into the videos, you'll see it. Allahu Akbar. They keep on shouting that. It's what, a, it's what a suicide bomber shouts every time he's about to detonate. Allahu Akbar, which means Allah is the greatest. So in that moment when they are killing somebody, they are saying, God, their God is the greatest. I've got a, a map here which I forgot to show you. That's, that's Gaza. That, and there you can see the little arrows. That's where the people came across the border into Israel and they killed the people and took them captive. The people behind this attack is not just some random social group in, uh, in, in, in Gaza. No, it is the government of Gaza. They are called Hamas. It is a political party that was elected by the people of Gaza to lead them. Hamas. So Israel then declared war, which you can understand, right? They say that if you calculate the amount of deaths of this terror attack compared to what happened in America, it's 10 times worse than what September 11th was for America. 
And you know how America responded, right? I think there was less than 1,300 people that died in the Twin Towers. But there was 1,300 people that died here in Israel. And so Israel says, okay, this is war. We're going to take out the people who came and killed our people. They told the people of Gaza, there's the map. They told the people of Gaza to move south, cross a certain river for safety. Because they were about to enter and launch an attack on Hamas to eradicate them, to take them out of the picture. Literally to kill them, to remove them. But the story goes that Hamas kept the people from moving south. Apparently Israel dropped flyers to tell the people, you need to move south. That Hamas would stop them, keep them, didn't want them to move south. And so they are being accused of using civilians as human shields. That's all over the news. Hamas keeps the civilians in front of them. They hide behind hospitals. They hide behind schools because they, they know the Israelites are not just going to kill uh, civilians. And that's how the story goes. Anyways, Israel has then sent loads and loads of bombs into Gaza with warning, apparently. The only war ever fought by any nation in the world where before you bomb people, you let them know, hey, we're going to bomb you in 15 minutes' time. Apparently, some of the stories are that they would drop bombs onto the rooftops of these buildings um, that don't detonate, just as a warning to say, in 50 minutes' time, this place is going to be, um, going to be destroyed. Up to this point, it sounds like about 3,000 people have died in Gaza, and many of them civilians. It's probably more this morning, I'm, I'm not sure. Israel has switched off the electricity in Gaza. They've closed off the, the Gaza Strip. I think they've, they've kept back water, um, and they've been bombarding um, Gaza just with bombs. Why? So that they could free the hostages. This whole scenario has created a huge uproar, especially in the political sphere. People have been protesting all over the world. I don't know if you have watched the news. There's protests in our country because of this war. Lots of protests. In Portland, there's been protests. People that are in support of Palestine have been um, putting up flags, have been uh, in the streets. Um, Harvard, Harvard University has had this stint of students who took, stood up for Palestine. Um, we've had, um, I think this week, there was like more than 300 people that stormed the capital also to so that our government can say to Israel, stop bombing Gaza, because people are dying. It's a mess. And the question is, why are people so upset? Because it's such a technical situation. It depends on who you speak to. You know what we say? We always say there's two sides to the coin. Every side has its own story, right? That's the difficulty. So here's a few reasons why it's so complicated. Because is, is, some people say, well, Israel is disproportionate in its, um, in its attack. For example, and they would cite the numbers, Hamas kills 1,300 people, and then Israel comes and they kill 3,000. That's disproportionate. Israel is wrong. So if, if we kill 1,300 of yours, you need to kill 1,300 of ours, and then that would be fair. Would it? But Hamas then goes and hides behind civilians. And Israel kills people they don't want to kill, but they want to eradicate the people who keeps on killing them. You see how complicated it is. Palestine is in poverty. And one of the poorest and most densely populated, actually, in fact, I don't want to use Palestine, I'll say Gaza is in poverty. 
this land, this piece of strip of land. And it's the most, one of the most densely populated places in the world. And people say that this place is being bullied by Israel. Israel is a strong power and is consistently bombing and bullying them. And they are fed up and they control them. And so this was just lashing out for that control for many years. And it is true. It's true that Israel is controlling some aspects of um, Gazan life. For example, they built a pipeline. I heard this yesterday. They built a pipeline to give water to the people in Gaza. Because it, it, I don't know what the problem is, why they can't support themselves. But they put, And then the, the Hamas digs up the pipeline and uses the material to make bombs to bomb Israel. What do you do with the people like that? And you can understand why they are like that in a few moments' time. Israel controls all the borders. They, they control the sea so that the people of Gaza can't just import stuff. And that is highly unfair, right, when you, when you listen to it. But the problem is that Israel have given them op open borders before. Every time they import products that they can build bombs with. And then they bomb Israel again. What do you do with people like that? You can't talk with, you can't negotiate with. And when you give them total freedom, they create stuff to kill you. When everything about them wants to kill you. How do you deal with that? Is, people would say Israelis are occupiers of land that isn't theirs. And you're going to hear a lot about that this morning. And the Palestinians want their land back. Just like the Indians want their land back in America. And the Africans want their land back in South Africa. The Palestinians are saying, this is our land. It's not the Israelites' land. And they are occupying it. They are colonialists. And they need to be removed. So Israel was attacked unexpectedly, violating any ethics of war. From Israel's perspective, they have the right to defend themselves, to enter Gaza, to recover Israeli captives. They have a right to eliminate the terrorists that are bent in destroying Israel. In other words, they would say, look, we have the right to go into Gaza to preserve ourselves, to eliminate the threat that keeps on wanting to kill us. And so, okay, so this morning then, uh, I hope everybody sort of understands that sort of what's going on. The question then, the questions then mount up. What and who do we side with? Do we have to choose a side? Does it matter what, what's really at the root of the conflict? And what does this have to do with us? Why even talk about it? To understand the issue a little bit better, which is a very complicated issue, let me go a little bit deeper and tell you about the history. And, and, this is, and, and you read these things as you go into the Bible, and you'll see some things that is very, um, very true. And we can see it in our day come to life. Let's start off with the exile. The Jews, and if those of you who know your Bible will know this, the Jews were taken into exile, we could say an, a number of times. They were taken, they, they were basically destroyed. The northern ten tribes of Israel was destroyed by Assyria, and the people were taken captive into Assyria. The southern two tribes were later taken into captiv captivity by Babylon Babylonia. But they always came back. It's like they always came back to the land to some extent. Then Jesus came, and in AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. And the Jews, once again, many of them fled back into, 
up into the world, up into northern Europe when the temple was destroyed. In the seventh, uh, 600 years after Jesus, the Muslim faith developed, um, developed by Muhammad. And these Muslims, when that initial, when, when that initial um, religion started, the one group of people that the Muslims really hated were the Jews. And they persecuted the people who lived in Jerusalem. They persecuted the Jews. There was warfare. They killed many Jews. Most of the people they killed were Jews. They didn't want the Jews there. That's why they've got a mosque. That's why they've got this temple in Jerusalem. Because when Islam started, they annexed that hill as their Zion, the Zion of the Bible. They annexed it as their place of worship. And pushed out the Jews. And the Jews fled. They went up into Europe. And here's the sad part. Interesting. Everywhere they went, people hated them. A small group of Jews always seemed to have remained behind in Jerusalem. But the majority left. The people who left Jerusalem, we call them the diaspora. The people who, who spread out all over the world. But ever, wherever they went, people hated them. Have you ever wondered, why is it that everybody hates the Jews so much? Why? Is it the way they look? What, what is it about it? I want to suggest to you this morning that it is a spiritual war. I want to suggest to you that Satan hates the Jews. And he's always instigated people. And I think one of the reasons why people hate the Jews is because they've said, and they've got this book that we have. It's, it's called the Bible, the Torah. They've got this book that says they're the chosen people of God. Anyways, you can go read Revelation chapter 12 and you'll see that the Jewish nation is always going to have people hating them. Now, so, so these, these Jews are spread out all over the world, right? At the end of the 19th century, they were sort of in different places in Europe and they were coming to a point, some of the leaders of these, these Jews came to a point where they said, hey, you know what? Wouldn't it be great if we had a place of our own? Like here we are, we are spread out. Everybody hates us. What if we could just go somewhere, live there, be by ourselves, and have peace where people will just leave us alone, and we can just live? And that's where the start of the Zionist movement came. I'm explaining it in very simple terms. So they thought, where on earth can we go? And they, some suggestions were Uganda. And then another suggestion came, what about Argentina? But finally, after deep soul searching and discussions and going to the oldest text, religious text, the most attested to text in the world, which is the Bible that we have, the Old Testament, the Torah, the history of the Jews, when they looked at their own history, what did they see? They saw the land of Israel. That's the place where we need to be. That's the place that God promised to us. And so what happened was, over time, they started moving back. And that's what we call the second exodus. The first exodus we find in, in the Bible. And this is sort of the second exodus, right? And in our time, in, in the last hundred years, where the Jews started going back, slowly but surely, small groups of Jews came back from Europe, and they settled in this land. They bought land from the Arabs who were living there. Arabs were living there in small rural communities. Jerusalem wasn't much. The land of Israel wasn't much. But there were, there were many more Arabs there than there, were, than there were Jews. And they established little settlements that we often hear about. It's called the kibbutz. 
a place where people would settle, they would make food, and they would, they would live together in communities. And the relationship between the Arabs and the Jews were great. They lived in peace. But one day, I read this week, one day, a pivotal point that sort of changed things was one of the Arabs heard one of the Jews in a conversation say this. This is our land. Now, can you imagine if you're, a, if you're an Arab, you've lived there your whole life, your grandfather lived there, and his grandfather lived there in that land, and then you see these people come, and they come live here, and they come build places for them, and they, and they buy land, and they, they do well, and then suddenly you hear they are saying, this is their land. And you're like, that can't be. My grandfather bought this land. My grandfather's 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 was, were here from the Ottoman Empire. You can imagine how that caused friction. And since then, there's been skirmishes between the Jews and the Arabs, and it's really about the land. So, more and more, however, despite that, more and more Jews started moving there. And then the Second World War era came. And you know what happened then, right? Everywhere in Europe, the Jews were in danger. They were being killed. What are you going to do if you live in Poland or you live in Germany and you hear that the government is trying to kill you and you hear about other people's? What are you going to do? You're going to try and go where many Jews are going, right? That's the exodus. And so many people left Europe, many Jews left, and they went and settled back in the land that we call Israel. And the Arabs weren't happy because now the Jews were occupying their land more and more and more. So the war happened, the Holocaust happened, six million Jews were killed, the governments of the world rallied together and said, we need to protect the Jews, we need to give them a place to live. And the Jews said, yes, please help us get a place to live. We want to live in the place where our forefathers lived. Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the land of Israel. We've got the history, here it is. We've got the documents, here it is. We lived here first. So the United Nations in 1948 came together, they voted, I think it was in New York, and they said, okay, we're going to divide the land, and we're going to give Israel their own land. And so the, what they did is, but we've got to be fair with the Palestinians. What we're going to do is, we've got to split it up, we're going to give, the, so the yellow parts, that's going to be Israel, and then the rest is going to be Palestine. The Palestinians can have their land, the Jews can have their lands, and they established the state of Israel in 1948. But, guess who didn't like that? the Arabs. The next day, Israel existed for one day. The next day, Israel, they are one day old, and they were attacked by five Arab states simultaneously. Egypt, Iraq, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria attacked them with military warfare. And Israel defeated them. How's that possible? And I want you to see this. Why I'm saying I think God is involved here. The Arab nations of the world since then and to this day refuse to accept Israel as a state of its own, refuse to give any of the land to Israel, and will basically fight Israel for that land till Jesus comes back. Because it's a religious issue. Without getting too much detail, Gaza is not that whole land. Gaza is just a small strip on the side there by the coast. And that's where this war is taking place. 
It's, it's sort of where you have this religious group that are really intense about wanting to take over the land. Um, Israel ruled over that area for a long time, but gave that land to the Palestinians and said, okay, you guys govern yourself. In 2005, they gave the whole thing over and said, okay, you guys govern yourself. And they, they held an election, a democratic election, as I said earlier. And the people, the people who live there, they said, we want Hamas to be our leaders. I listened to a guy this week who looked at the word Hamas in Hebrews. It's found in Genesis chapter 6. When the whole earth was exceedingly um, you know, sinful, and then it says they were violent. That word violence in Hebrew is Hamas. Interesting. Hamas is a terrorist organization leading the Gaza Strip. And so what is going on is this. Hamas attacked and killed, and Israel is now responding, trying to attack and destroy Hamas. Not Palestinians, not Arabs, but Hamas, the terrorist organization that is killing people. All right, in a nutshell, that hopefully explains it. And I mean, we can talk forever about this. That's why the news channels are going on about this. The question at the end of the day is this, what does God say, right? What is the truth and why does it matter and what can we learn? I want to give you just two truths quickly to think about. That's the Gaza Strip. Number one, truth number one, the Israelites have more rights to the land than any other people on earth. Everybody knows that 3,000 years ago, there was a king reigning in Jerusalem. Who knows what his name was? David. He was reigning in that city. Everybody knows that. His son Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem long before Islam even existed. Long before there was a religion, Islam. 1,600 years after Solomon lived, Islam developed into a religion. And there's a rich history of Hebrews living in the land. There's a rich history of the tribes of Israel living in the land. And how the land was divided between the people. Abram lived in Israel 3,800 years ago. He lived there on the land, walked it. The Jews has the greatest attested to and documented history of all nations on earth. We find it in the, New, in the Old Testament scriptures. Nobody can deny that Israel is the historical birthplace of Jesus Christ. I, I, I saw this statement, so interesting. Nur Barkat, he's the minister of economy, and, and he's also involved with the war currently. He said, everywhere you put a shovel in the ground in Jerusalem, you will find Jewish roots and connecting Bible stories. You want to know whose land it is? Dig into the soil and find out who lived here. The Israelites did. So when the Jews were looking for a land of their own, the most accurate place for them to go live was this piece of land that I showed the map of, Israel. And when the United Nations gave them the land in 1948, you know what they said? You know what Israel said in 1948? When the United Nations divided up the land and said, okay, Israel, you can have this piece of land. This is what they said. We extend our hand in friendship and peace to all our neighboring states. There is enough room in this land for us and the Arabs. They were saying, hey man, let's be brothers. So historically, this land is definitely 
the land where Israel lived first. But there's theologically something else that's very significant. I think we all know that God promised this land to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he didn't promise this land to them just for 10 years, for 100 years, or for 1,000 years. Long before Islam even existed, God said, I will give you this land. I don't have time to talk about that, but you can go research it. Go to Genesis 17, verse 7 to 8. God made other promises too that really seems to have come true in the last hundred years. Look at this beautiful text, Deuteronomy chapter 3. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where He scattered you. Yes, God scatters the Jews. He punishes them. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors. And you will take possession of it. That's exactly what happened. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And we Christians, we battle with these types of things. I'll be honest with you. I've been battling with this my whole life. Asking the question, hey, the Jews killed Jesus, right? When we read the New Testament, the Jews are sort of the enemies, right? They're even the Christians' enemies. How can God possibly bless them? And the question that I think is on many people's minds, and some some of us haven't made up our minds, I'll be honest with you, I'm 80% there as to make up my mind. Do I believe that God still watches over the Israelites and the Jews? And honestly... I do believe he does. And I'm going to share with you why. Look at what Paul says. This is Romans chapter 11. He talks about the Israelites and he talks about the gospel. Verse 25, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Do you see that? And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. Whoa. The Jews are enemies against the gospel, right? But look at this. But as far as election is concerned... They are loved on account of the patriarchs. The text is saying that God loves the Israelites because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It doesn't mean that they are saved, but God loves them because he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to take care of these people. And then he says, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. In other words, when God says to the Israelites, I'm going to give you this land forever, his promise is secure. He doesn't change his promises. Now, that's hard for us to deal with. How will God protect people and give them land and make sure they keep the land if they're not Christians? Well, I'm a Christian. I have no land. Does land mean I'm going to heaven? No. God keeps his promises. That's what it's about. He promised Abraham, and he's going to keep that promise. That's my conviction. To give you an example, was Saul a bad king? King Saul? Was he a bad guy? Did he want to kill the guy that was anointed by God, David? Yes. Was David a a man after God's own heart? Yes. 
But you know what David said to Saul just before as Saul died? You can go check that out in 1 Samuel 24, 16. He said to him, you know what? I'll take care of your descendants. I'm going to protect your seed. Why would a good guy protect the seed of a bad guy? He made a promise. And he kept that promise. He took care of Mephibosheth. Very much the same thing, I believe, with the Jews. I think God is watching over them. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1 to 11, Paul teaches that Jews will not be saved unless they turn to Jesus. But here, Paul teaches that Jews, even after the gospel is spread to the Gentiles, continue to have a special place with God. And God is not taking His promises away from them. At this point, I think it's my opinion and my understanding on the matter that although the Jews, the people in Israel, might not be in a saving relationship with Christ, they enjoy the promises of God made to Abraham. And here's the cool thing. This has really struck me at my heart. We want to sit and say the Jews are separate and they are there and they are bad and many of them don't believe in Jesus. But we are beneficiaries of the Jewish people. Because our Lord, who we've come to worship today, His name is Jesus Christ. He was a Jew. He was born from the tribe of, the, from the people of Israel. He came into the world through the Jewish nation. In Revelation chapter 12, there's this great image where there's a woman that's about to give birth. And Satan is right there. This dragon is looking at the woman and trying to kill her and persecute her. And he wants to kill the baby that's about to come out. That baby is Jesus Christ, and that woman is the Israelite nation. And the text says the dragon wages war against her, and he chases her wherever she goes. The mother of Jesus. If we want to honor the mother of Jesus, we don't go to Mary, we go to the Jewish people. Our Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews were the chosen people of God. The Jews wrote, ex-Jews wrote, the whole Bible that we read every day. But apart from the scriptures and apart from the promises of God, it looks like something really unique is protecting Israel. They are surrounded by Arab nations who hate them. And you'll get that now. On the first day of their existence as a state, as I said, they were attacked by five nations. They won. In 1967, they were pulled into another war against three Arab armies. And in six days... They destroyed them. They gained more territory, four times its original size, and became the preeminent military power in the region. In 1973, Israel was once again attacked by surprise by Egypt and Syria, and Israel won again. Google the list of all the wars they've been in. They get, the, the, the people are trying to kill them like every year. Every moment they get, they're trying to kill him. They've constantly been at war in Lebanon. They've been at war against Gaza. The, the Palestinians from Gaza perpetually come into Israel with bombs and suicide bombers. Eventually, the Israelites said, look, we can't handle, you know, every second day, somebody's bombing a bus. We're going to put a fence around Gaza. And now the Gazans are inside. They're saying, look at these people putting us in a prison. So what do you do every day? People come in and they try to kill your people. They put the fence up. 90% of suicide bombers end it. But this is what people do who are extremely bent on destruction and are led by the spirit of darkness and the spirit of evil and the spirit of violence, if you want to call it that. They gather some friends with money and they uh, build rockets 
and they buy rockets and they start shooting rockets at Israel. Apparently from the year 2000, they've sent more than 20,000 rockets into Israel. Can you imagine what it must feel like? You never know when a rocket is going to hit you. Because now the fence is there, but that's okay, we'll send rockets over. But you know what's incredible? You guys have heard of the, the Iron Dome? The Israelites developed one of the most technologically advanced war systems in the world. That when those rockets come across, Israel sends automatic rockets into the air that blocks those rockets. That makes them explode in the air, the Iron Dome. It's, and for me, that's like a picture of God having His hand over this place. Protecting the people. Absolutely incredible. So, they're a small country of 9 million people. They're surrounded by Arab countries that total more than 150 million people. Despite these wars, despite having neighbors that hate them, despite being such a small nation, they have a massive economy and is considered one of the most innovative nations on earth. It smells like there's some sort of divine favor resting on them. And that leaves me perhaps with one of the most intriguing verses in today's lesson. Zechariah 12 is 8 to 10. And I want you to read this carefully. This is a prophecy. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem. So that the feeblest among them will be like David and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. Who is that, ladies and gentlemen? This text is saying there's going to come a time where the Jews will look on the one they've pierced, Jesus. And they will mourn for him. As one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. This is a prophecy. I don't know how it's going to play out. My mind can't imagine it, but it's there. There's something more going on here than just politics. So that's my first point. The Jews have a better right to the land than anybody else on earth. But here's a second truth. Truth number two. Islam endorses hatred and violence. And at their core, uh, 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 Islam, Islam's endorsement of hatred and violence are at the core of its ideology. People say, and this needs to sink in. And really, I'm, I really want to be tolerant and kind. I really want to be. But look at the evidence. Islam is not a religion of peace. You do get peaceful Muslims. But the religion itself, at its core... It's not a religion of peace. I've watched many people this week having discussions. Every time a Muslim commentator comes on, there's anger and outbursts and aggression. It's simply not the truth. A Muslim, uh, the, the Muslim faith can never produce faithful obedience to Islam. Take a person that's faithfully obedient to Islam and a person that's faithfully obedient to Christianity. They're not going to look the same at all. The one's going to kill the other. The one's going to want to kill the other, and the other one's going to give up his life and sacrifice it. That's the difference between Islam and Christianity. There are at least 126 verses in the Quran that points towards committing violence. I don't have to prove that. It's there. It's in the text. 
Islam has always been bent on war. Go back, read its history. They've always made war wherever they went. Go research Muhammad, their founder. He authorized rape and death. He authorized beheading. There's an incident where he authorized the death of 600 Jews. The, the decapitation. The leader of their faith killed people. Now juxtapose that to Christianity. Imagine Jesus was a person that decapitated people. Would you follow him? So what Hamas is doing is nothing new. It's not like they're just barbaric people that popped up. They're following the guy who started their religion. They are obedient to the Quran. And the people who don't do that are actually not obedient to the Quran. Hamas is the Israeli resistance movement. They stand for jihad. Do you know what jihad is? Jihad is a struggle. That's what the word means. It's a struggle. And they say two things about it. They always talk positively about jihad. No, jihad is your inner struggle to become a good person. And I get that. So why don't you practice jihad before you fly across the border and go cut off a baby's head? Like, that's real jihad. That's the first definition. Jihad is a struggle on the inside to become a better person. The second definition of jihad is to fight for Muhammad. To fight for Allah. To fight for a place of, of worship. And to kill if need be. Now that's the jihad that's practiced. That's the jihad that was practiced two weeks ago. They are reluctant to say it, but they stand for killing the infidels. This is one of the sayings that they have. Kill the Saturday people and kill the Sunday people. Who's the Saturday people? You know who that is, right? That's the Jews. Kill the Sunday people. Do you know who that is? That's you and I. If you were standing face to face with a Hamas agent, do you think he would think twice about shooting you? There's no way. We'd take you out. I don't think it sinks in for us where we live. They deny the right of Israel to exist in their charter. I read the Hamas charter this week, and you can go read it yourself. It's on the internet. Just, just type in. You can read their charter. They basically say this. No recognition. We will never recognize Israel as owning, being on this land. No peace. And the whole world is calling for peace, peace, peace. Everybody must have peace. Uh, Israel must stop bombing them. But they will never stop killing. Because they, their charter says no peace. No negotiation. Everybody says, we need to negotiate with these guys. They don't want to negotiate. It's in their charter. They won't. I was struck by this. Look at this, this statement by Mahmoud al-Zahar, one of the co-founders of Hamas. He said this, the entire planet will be under our law. There will be no more Jews and Christian traitors. The entire 510 million square kilometers of planet Earth will come under a system where there's no injustice, no oppression, no Zionism, no treacherous Christianity. We let Islam take over the world, put them in power. This is what's going to happen. The unofficial Hamas slogan is this. We love death as much as the Jews love life. Article 8 of their charter shares the Muslim Brotherhood's slogan. Allah is its goal. The prophet is the model. Wow. Yeah. Muhammad is the model. He had a nine-year-old wife. He authorized the raping of women when they went out to battle. He authorized the death and the beheading of numerous people. He's our model, they say. The Quran is its constitution. 126 verses that calls for violence. Jihad is its path. 
the way we're going to do this is through jihad. And death for the sake of Allah is the loftiest of wishes. We want to die. And we don't care if other Muslims die in the process either. This is the ideology that the kids of Palestine are being taught. Reports are that kids are being taught at uh, elementary schools how to decapitate teddy bears. Hamas goes out and kills Israelites. They run back in, uh, in, in, into uh, Gaza and they hide their weapons in their central command centers under hospitals and near schools. They specifically did this a few years ago. And the Israeli army, the IDF said, you know what, we're not going to bomb the hospital because we can't kill innocent people because Hamas is hiding in the basement of the hospital. So they didn't bomb it. They said, we'll leave to fight for another day. Those same people that they didn't kill because they didn't want to kill civilians are the people that orchestrated this attack and beheaded babies. So they're in such a difficult position. I don't know. It's working to shield behind people. Because if Israel bombs them and, 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 and civilians die, you know what the whole world does? The whole world goes in uproar and say, Israel is killing innocent Palestinians. So it works for Hamas. Someone said, Israel will use bombs to protect its people. And Hamas will use people to protect its bombs. And Israel hurts. I don't think we get this. Israel hurts. And I'm not saying all of the Israelites are good. I'm just saying they're innocent in this battle, man. Golda Mead, the fourth prime minister, explained it so well of Israel. She said, we can forgive the Arabs for killing our children. We cannot forgive them for forcing us to kill their children. We will only have peace with the Arabs when they love their children more than they hate us. The hatred and the fighting and the warfare in the Muslim or Arab world is not something for us to be finding strange. We don't have much time for this. We don't have a time to really cover this. But those of you who have been studying this for a while will know that Ishmael basically was the father of the Arab nations. And God said that this would happen. The angel of the Lord also said to her, that's Genesis 16, 11 to 12. You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. The father of the Arabs, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. So in a way, it just looks like this war will never end. And God made it this way for his glory. We haven't seen yet why. But for his glory. And so before I make final remarks, what should we do? Where should we position ourselves? First of all, pray for and support the destruction of Hamas. Not the destruction of innocent people. Pray for and support the destruction of Hamas. Secondly, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible calls upon us to do that. Psalm 122 verse 67. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadel. The text calls on us. Number three, pray for the salvation of the Palestinians from Hamas. Pray that the Palestinians meet Jesus, but pray that they be separated from Hamas so that Hamas can be eradicated. Here's my conclusion. You know, a lot of stuff said. I'd like to elaborate more on things, but let me summarize a few thoughts that came to my mind while I was thinking through these things. 
first of all, I want us to remember that God keeps his promises. And he will keep his promises to Israel. He cannot return. He can't revoke his promises. And he won't. That's the God that we serve. And Israel illustrates that for us. Secondly, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Romans chapter 13 was one that says that. We have to respect governmental authorities. Regardless of how we feel about them. This is the big problem with, with the Palestinians, unfortunately. The United Nations gave the land to the Israelites. Submit to their decision. That's the struggle, what happens when we rebel against those uh, in, in government. It wasn't just the Jews that arrived there and said, we're going to take over the land. No, the UN gave the land to them. Gave the east side of Jerusalem to, to them. Secondly, two wrongs don't make a right. People say, what do you expect if you have been suppressed and subjugated and people have taken your land? This is the perspective of the Palestinians. And you live in a landlocked country. Will you not rebel and do what Hamas has done? So if you live in this land and you, you're surrounded and you, you, you live in poverty and it's a struggle and it's difficult. Can't we justify what they've done? That's what the commentators on TV are saying. Well, you go live there and see how frustrated you get. You will also lose your mind and try and go kill everybody that's in your path. Would you? Would a Christian? No. What does it help? Because you're frustrated where you live that you go decide you're going to go kill some other people. Is that going to make you better? Is that going to make you feel better? Two wrongs don't make a right. Burn kids alive, rape women, decapitate babies because you're unhappy with your living conditions? No. That will not fix the issue. That will not garner peace. And this is true in our own lives too. Taking vengeance, hurting people who hurt us, paying people back who paid us some damage. That is not God's way. It never solves the issue. It just makes it worse. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, only leaves everyone without eyes and teeth. One joke. How will we eat? How will you even know what you're eating? Thirdly, fourthly, John 16 is here. Nearing our doorstep in America. Those of you guessing what John 16 2 says, this is what it says. The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. There are people in this world that will not hesitate to kill us. They will not hesitate. Because we are the people of the book and we are the people of Sunday. And you know what they will shout while they are decapitating us? Allahu Akbar. Allah is great. And he's happy with them. You must go look at some of these videos of Hamas. You know, they have videos of themselves like selfies and stuff. B things are blowing up in the background. Bodies are lying there. And you know what they're doing? They're smiling. This is incredible. Allah Akbar, he's happy with us. Whew. Prophecies might be coming true as we sit here this morning. It's a longer discussion for another day, but many scholars seem to believe that we are witnessing the start of the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 38 to 39. And it speaks about an alliance that some believe to be between Russia, Turkey, and Iran, and the Islamic State north of the Nile River. 
And if you go look at that, and you go look at what's happening in our world, it very much looks like it, and I'm not, not one to make those types of predictions, but it seems like apparently that the Wagner group from Russia, they were in Africa recently, and on the way back, they trained the Hamas soldiers how to wage war. So Hamas is already linked in that sense to, to Russia. Iran are the guys that funds the, the people in Hamas with, uh, with weapons, etc., in support of that. The, the president of Turkey in the last two weeks has condemned what Israel is busy doing. So you can point out many things. And here's the, the sad part about our country, unfortunately, is that uh, it seems like some of our leaders have sent funds to Iran. The greatest supporter of terrorism in the world. The greatest funder of terrorism in the world. And they just siphon it down because the people in Iran believe the same things as Hamas. So in our time, in our time, we're seeing some of these things unfold. And then our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We need to remember that. That's Ephesians 6 verse 12. Islam is such a sad religion because the enemy is always someone. The enemy is always another person that needs to die. I'm so glad I'm a Christian. There's always people in the way, people that need to be killed to advance the cause of Islam. I'm so glad we don't have to kill people to preach Christ, right? That we have to kill people to advance what we believe in. Christianity is of the Spirit, and the Spirit is powerful, and the Spirit changes people's lives without us. The kingdom of God conquers the world without weapons, without guns, without money, with nothing, the Spirit conquered the world. And the greatest kingdom that has ever existed is the kingdom we belong to. And we never had to use force. That's the God that we serve. That's the true God of heaven and earth. Everything else around that, other than that, is false. And then I want to close off with this. Christianity is incredible, brothers and sisters. It's absolutely incredible, especially when we look at what is happening. If you look at the product and the byproduct of Islam, it's it's. It makes Christianity stand out just really differently. And I want to leave you with this thought. And I want to leave you with this illustration. If Hamas, Hamas is the leadership of Palestine. If Hamas could be replaced by us, specifically our church. What if we could be given this project, this task, just as we are? Listen, you guys. We want you to go be the government of Gaza. What do you think would happen? How would, we, how would we change things in that place? I don't think anybody in Gaza would ever go into Israel again to kill somebody, would they? If we are running the place, based on Christ's principles, based on the heart of God, I don't think so at all. There would be no killing. Killing would cease, wouldn't it? I hope so. Some of you look angry at me. Smile. But there would be no war. Nobody would be forced into nothing. Right? There would be wealth. Because we'd all use our talents. We would let people be free. Israel will not fear Gaza at all. Because they'll see our heart and the type of uh, people that we produce and what we stand for. Would there be no negotiation? Yes, there would be. Would there be peace? Yes, there would be peace. Would there be recognition? Yes, there would. Because we'd base it on the oldest historical attested to document. And because we respect God. Will people eat? 
Of course they would, because we make sure that everybody shares with everybody. We will be no threat. There will be true peace. And we won't care about the land. We won't go kill people for a piece of property. Why? Because we look forward to eternity. A world that's not like this. We won't fight flesh and blood for something material and die in the process. No. We won't have weapons. There will be no weapons. Why would you need a weapon when the Spirit of God lives within you? You won't need a weapon because our war isn't against people. It's against the Spirit. This unfortunately reveals that there are people that don't see it the same way. We are the enemy. I want to challenge you to stand up for what is right. Christianity makes earth more heavenly. And I thank you for being part of making this earth better. Please continue doing so. Let's stand and sing the closing song.